0: All right, let's start in the middle, actually, of Parashas Vayechi. And <coughs> we'll start with Yaakov's death, or actually before Yaakov's death. So if you look at, if you have a chumash in front of you, you can look at it. It's Perak Memches, chapter 48, Pasuk Zayin, Pasuk 7. This is the middle of the conversation. Now Yaakov is fallen, has fallen ill. Yaakov has fallen ill, who interestingly enough, he was the first person to become ill and then pass away from the illness, meaning he was the first person who had a, you know, an end-of-life kind of illness. Until then, people died by doing what? What happened? They would... Anyone fall asleep want to sleep and just not wake up? Nope. There's something actually, if you think about it, there is something which we say frequently to people that is related to how people used to die. People would sneeze. And that's what they would die. That's what the that's what Chazal tell us. Oh, Mimi said it. I just didn't hear her. But Mimi said it. Um, and that's why we say gesundheit or labriyut to good health or God bless you. It's all because that's how they used to die. The heart stops and that's when they would die. That's what it says in the Svarim. So um, Yaakov is now ill. He sends a message to Yosef. Yosef is informed. Yosef comes with his two sons. And Yaakov is asking Yosef to do him the favor of burying him in Eretz Yisrael and Ma'aras HaMachpela. Now Yaakov had a number of reasons for it. And... Um, he was begging, so to speak, from Yosef to bury him in Eretz Yisrael to trouble himself to bury him there. And Yaakov says, he starts going, giving Yosef a little bit of a history lesson about his mother, Rachel's death. And then he says, mi padon. And I, when I came from Padon, Mesa so Rachel. Rachel Rochel died on me. B'eretz in Eretz Canaan on the road, when there was still a long stretch of land to get to Ephros, I buried Rachel there on the road. At Beislachem, that's where I buried her. Now we know that Yaakov was telling him that this was all done based on Hashem's command that there's going to be a time that the Jewish people are going to be brought into exile and they're going to pass by the grave. And they're going to cry, Rachel, Rachel. You know, Avchayim Shmulevitz, Avchayim Shmulevitz was the Rosh Hashiva of the Mir Yeshiva in Shanghai, in, in China, in Yerushalayim. My brother actually married his great-granddaughter. Um, yeah, so um, so this is the story that happened. Avchayim Shmulevitz went once, I forget which war it was, if it was the 67 war or if it was the 73 war. And he went to Davin, at some point, I don't know, maybe historically only one of them makes sense. He went to Davin HaKev Rachel, and he said, he was crying and Davin he says, Mama, cry, cry, cry. Cry for your children. And one of the students who were with him said, Rebbe, how could you tell her to cry? Hashem, the Medrash tells us, the Pasuk tells us that Hashem tells Rochel hold back your voice from crying. Hashem tells Rochel to cry. So how could you say you should cry? Hashem said she shouldn't cry. Chaim said, a father can tell a daughter not to cry. But a child can always tell a mother cry. So as a father, Hashem is saying don't cry, everything is going to be good, your schos is going to bring the Jewish people back. But a mother can always say, a, fa- a child can always say, Mama, Mama, cry for us, daven for us. So in this whole explanation that Yaakov was giving, the mafarshim comments, Why does it say, V'ani padon, When I came from Padon, Me saw a lie, Rochel died a lie. A lie is a strange language. A lie has a connotation that Yaakov is taking responsibility for her death. What is it over here that Yaakov is taking responsibility for her death? So the Mesha Chachma, the mayor Simchov Dvinsk. Mayor Simcha of Dvinsk actually Mayor Klein is named after Mayor Simcha of Dvinsk. That's who Mayor Klein is named after. That's a that's a um, trivia night. If You get asked on our trivia night, you'll know the answer. Mayor Simcha is Mayor or Mayor Simcha of Dvinsk, and he says a very interesting thing. The Gemara said, "Well, I'll, 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 I'll uh, preface it with a, sto- <laughs> with a uh, story. You know, there was a town who had to build a mikvah." And there was a very poor town, there wasn't so much money there, but there was one very, very wealthy guy in town who could really foot the whole bill. Now what's the problem usually with these stories? The wealthy guy doesn't want to part with his money. He feels very close to it and he likes keeping it close to his pocket. And um, he was as wealthy as he was, that's how miserly he was. Now, this person, the Rav actually didn't want to ask him for money. He said, I can't ask him for money. What am I going to ask him? But then sh- luck struck because this fellow came to the Rav. He said, you know, I'm having my house. Is, uh, I haven't listened to the advice of Shalom Bayit. And uh, it's just not working out. It's just not working. What should I do? And the Rav says, you know, it's interesting that you say this. The Gemara says... That if a person makes a vow, he pledges money, but he doesn't pay up, then his wife will die. That's the punishment that happens. Why exactly? That's not for tonight. So the rough told this fellow, you know, this wealthy miser, he said, you know, you you don't want to give your wife a a divorce because then you're gonna have to pay all the alimony and all the other expenses. So I have a very simple eight step, a simple piece of advice for you. I want you, you should pledge to pay for the whole mikvah. And then don't pay it. And then your wife will die. So, oh, that's a good advice. So he makes the pledge. And uh, obviously he doesn't pay. A week goes by, two weeks go by, and his wife is healthy as a horse. He goes back to the rav. <laughs> it's not working. So the rav says, ah, <laughs> you see, the Gemara says that the person's wife will die, but you don't treat your wife like a wife. So first treat her like a wife. She'll have a din of a wife, and then she'll die. So you know what? You're right. So every morning he would come up, go downstairs, make her breakfast, bring her breakfast in bed. He would pull out the chair from under her to help her sit down and stand up and everything. And, you know, for after a month of doing this, he was actually growing qu- quite fond of his wife. You know, the issue... Wasn't a lack of shalom bias, it was a lack of that they were strangers. So eventually he said, You know what, Taka, this is a good shidduch. I like this woman. She's a good, she's a good wife. There's a reason why I married her. But then, after about a month or so, something terrible happened. All of a sudden, one day she collapsed and she, she fell ill. The doctors came, they couldn't figure out what's wrong with her. So the man comes running back to the Rav. Rabbi, you have to dab him for my wife. The Rav says, it does do me." The Gemara says, "If you if you make a pledge and you don't pay for it, your wife will die." So, so what am I what am I supposed to do? The Rav says, "I don't know. I guess you just have to pay for the mikvah." So they got their mikvah. Zokt the meshachochma. Yaakov says to Yosef, "Mesa lie Rachel." You know why Rachel died? Rachel died. Because I, the Gemara says, the, the Medrash tells us that Yaakov got punished because he had made a pledge. He told Hashem, I will give a tithing of everything that you give me. He made that pledge 22 years earlier when he was running away from Esau. And he said, if and if you give me, when he had that dream at, at uh, what's it called? At Maria uh, he said, Chol li aser I'm going to give a tenth. Says the Pasuk. Says the Pasuk. Mesa Allah Rochel, it was my fault that she died because I didn't fulfill that which Chazal said about making a pledge and filling it up because I was a year and a half on the road that I didn't fulfill my pledge. So therefore, I'm begging you, please don't take it out on me that it was my responsibility. I admit, so to speak, and I'm taking responsibility for it, but now I'm asking you to bury me in the Ma'araz HaMachpelo. And Yaakov says to Yosef, but don't make my mistake. Because my mistake was, I, I promised something and I didn't fulfill it. You're telling me you're gonna bury me in Mitzrayim, but do it with haste, don't delay. So that you don't suffer the consequences that I suffered as well. You know, there's a famous story also, Rabbi Levin. Rabbi Levin was known as the Tzaddik of Jerusalem. The tzaddik in our time, it's a um, it's a must-read book. And Rabbi Levin, he's the famous one. They, they use him as a story that they say Rabbi Levin went with his wife to a doctor. And he said to the doctor, My wife's foot hurts us. That's the that's the ultimate. Of the unity that they had. But if someone came to his son, Rabbi Foyle Shapiro, and um, you know, the couple came, they said, We have to we want to get divorced. It's not working out, it's untenable this marriage. And Rabbi Foyle said, Okay, you know, he tried to talk them out of it, it wasn't, wasn't working. He said, Okay, let's sit down. In order to write the the get the document, we have to we have to, you know, work out the names, it has to be very exact, all the names. So they were going through the names, and there was a name that she was called one thing. But her name was really something else. And you have to write all the names. So River Fall Shapiro said, you know what? We really have to establish that this is her name. So for 30 days, we need this, this name to be used. But it can't just be used by some people that she meets. You have to call her by this name twice a day. And after 30 days, that will establish that this is her name. So every day in the morning, the husband would say, Good morning, dear my you know, so and so, whatever her name is. Every night he would say good night, so and so for a month. That's what the rough said he she has to he has to do. And he did it for a month. And the same kind of happily ever after that it was. What happened happily ever after? After 30 days, by saying the person's name, the communication that we spoke about last week came up, it developed, and then there's no more get after all. Those are the best stories. I love those stories. I could say the stories all night. But let us continue. The first, the first point of this is, is and there's a little bit of it. You know what? It's interesting. It's December 30th. I don't know what Balta Acher, which means to delay a pledge. But everyone, you get a week. I'm, I'm sure you guys are inundated with the same emails that I am. Put in your pledge now. Put in your last, you know, tax deduction for 2020. So this is actually you know, appropriate for this time of year of Mesa Alai, of Mesa Alai. the Yaakov is saying, I learned my lesson the hard way. That's what they say. The only a fool learns from his own mistakes. The wise guy learns from other people's mistakes. So Yaakov said, right? The wise person learns from other people's mistakes. So Yaakov said to Yosef, learn from me. Learn from me. Learn from me. Don't make that mistake. Let's actually skip to a fry in menasha. Fry in menasha. in We know that um, that um, Hashem, that Yaakov told told Yosef, "B'chol Yevarech Yisrael, and with you," he says, um, "Hama'ala Chagoy lesimi korah." And he says, one second. He blessed them on that day. This is in Posak 20, make of like Khes. And there's a custom that some people have that they, they give a bracha to their children every Friday night. to the sons they say, Yesimcha, ke'efrayim so the girls, they say, like the four matriarchs. Now, the question is obvious. What was unique and what was special about the Ephraim Amenasha? that we say, oh, we're looking for people that we should give our children the blessing that they should be like and follow in the footsteps of our, of our ancestors. Who should we choose? Let's choose a Ephraim HaMenashe. Why a Ephraim HaMenashe? Why not Avram, Yitzchak, and Yaakov? What is the special yichos, the special, unique characteristic of Ephraim and Menashe, that we say, oh, Yaakov says, this is the bracha that's going to go on for thousands of years, millions and billions of times. People are going to give bracha to their children. Simcha alaykim ke Ephraim by a chuppah. My father actually doesn't give us a bracha every Friday night. There's different customs, but on Erevim Kibri he gives us that bracha. Before the chuppah he would give us that bracha. That's the bracha. That's the terminology we're all familiar with. it. Simcha, like him, Hashem should make you Gifrayim v'Chemena'ash. What was unique about a and Menasha? There's many, many answers and explanations given, but the first one we're going to start with is. The story that I told you, I would tell you two weeks ago. I don't forget. I still know that we owe Leslie that thing about Bekhir that we said we'll talk about. But this is the story that I was going to tell you that I said i would tell you two weeks ago. Napoleon, Napoleon, it was about Napoleon. Napoleon was conquering Europe. He was trying to take over the world. And he was being successful. He was being successful. I told you the story about Rabbi Diskin's father and what happened with him when he conquered Poland. But when when Napoleon was getting to Russia, he was actually, it wasn't working. He was getting defeat. He was having defeat after defeat, defeat. He's getting a little bit discouraged. They say a story. I don't know if this is true. They say a story that he saw he saw off in the distance a Russian soldier who was so cold. He saw a Russian soldier who relieved himself on a piece of bread to thaw it out in order to eat because it was so frozen. And he said, oh, my guys would never be able to do that. And he knew that then, or he, either he gave up or he lost. He realized that he's going to lose. I don't know if that story is true or not, but this is a story that I do know is true because it's about a rough. I forget which rub it was. It was a rough from that area over there. <clears throat> maybe it was um, maybe it was one of the Lubavitcher I'm not sure. I'm not sure who it was. And the Napoleon asked this Rav if he's going to be, what his, what his um, forecast was. Did he think, what was his, uh, his guess? Was he going to be successful in conquering Russia? And the analogy that the Rav told him was like this. The analogy was like this. There was a fellow, a nobleman, who was riding his chariots down the countryside. He had four gesunta, starka, big horses, big white horses. And they were, I mean, they were the cream of the crop. They were the best horses you could find. He got them wherever. And um, he was going with all of his gaiva, with all of his haughtiness, And at some point or another, the horses slipped. The wagon fell into a ditch. The horses were stuck, and they were trying to get the wagon out of the ditch. So he hit the wagon. He hit the horses rather, and he got off the wagon. He was trying this, and he was trying that, and nothing was working for them to get the horses out. Finally, one of his gaboy, one of his like you know helpers, went to the closest town. And they got, they asked the people over there, is there anyone here that has some horses that could pull out the wagons over here? So they found some, you know, poor guy, uh, you know, it's a shtetl, said, yeah, I have these two um, horses, they're, you know, let's see what they could do. The fellow looks at the horses, he takes one look, he says, are you crazy? These guys are scrawny. These guys are not gonna have to pull out the wagon. I have four horses back there. They can't pull out the wagon. He says, you know what, let's go give it a shot. He brings the horses back to the location of the accident. The nobleman sees it and he starts screaming at his, at his, at his attendant, the, the, the wagon driver, you out of your mind, look, look, we have four strong horses, they can't pull it out and you go get help and you got these two scrawny horses. What are you thinking? The guy said, I said the same thing, but he said he wants to try. They unhitch the four mighty horses and then they hitch these two scrawny horses onto the wagon and what do you know? The wagon comes out. The nobleman turns to the shtetl guy. Says, what, what, what happened? Did you say something? Did you say some magic? What, 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 how is that possible? I have these four horses and it zucked, zucked the shtetl man, the, the uh, whatever is it, the uh, horse guy. So I'll tell you like this. Where'd you tell me where you got the four horses? He says, oh, these horses, each one, is a story on its own. This one, I sent someone special to the fair in Leipzig, and he got the best tours that was there. It cost me 10,000 ruble. The other one, they went all the way to Paris, and they got the best one at that, you know, the the state fair over there, that was 9,000 ruble. The other one was from Switzerland, and the other one is actually from here in Russia. So the fellow says, there's your answer. Each one is pulling. But each one is pulling on its own. Each one is pulling in its own direction. These two horses may be scrawny, but they're in the same stable. They're grazing from the same grass. They're pulling together. They're pulling with achtos. They're pulling with unity. And therefore, they can pull out the wagon. You have your four great horses. That's fantastic. But each one is on it for its own. Said the Rav to Napoleon, you have your great army from your army you have Frenchmen you have Germans you have Austrians, you have all the different countries, everyone all together you have your NATO or whatever it is your United Nations of Armies but you're not going to be able to get against Russia that they're all together they're in the same barn they're coming with the same goals and the same mission there's not a chance that you're going to be able to beat them just like those horses were able to take them out Ephraim and Menashe or two brothers. Two brothers. Ephraim is younger. Manasha's older. Yesimcha Lekim ve-Manasseh. Don't you say ke-Manasseh Manasheb? Ephraim? Ephraim is younger than Manasha. Why is Manasha going after Ephraim? And Yosef, Hatzadik actually sees his father switching his arms. He says, no, no, it's the wrong one. The right is supposed to go on the older son. And why is Ephraim going first? And Yaakov says, I know. We'll get to that in a moment. We'll get to that in a moment of why Yaakov said that and why he did that. But the bottom line is that that's what was done. Usually when you have siblings, go back to all the siblings that we know in the Torah, Cain and Hevel. They fought. And Cain killed Hevel. Yitzchak and Yishmuel. Yishmael tried to kill Yitzchak. Yeah, at the end, maybe they got along according to the Medrash. Yaakov and Esav. Esav tried to kill Yaakov. The tribes, the Shvatim, they tried to destroy Yosef. Finally, 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 we get to Ephraim and Menashev. The brotherly love and the achdos that they had, that notwithstanding all of the challenges and all of the opportunity for competition and strife, which should have drove them apart, nonetheless, they're together. They're working together. They're not fighting with each other. Ephraim is before Menashe. Menashe is fine with that. Okay, whatever it is, that doesn't bother me. Sucked. Hayakov to Yosef. This is how all of the Jewish nation are going to bless their children. Yisimcha him, ke Ephraim and Menashe. Just like Ephraim and Menashe had what to fight about. There was good reason for them to feel some division and strife. But nonetheless, they stayed together. There was that unity. That's how we're giving a bracha to our children. That's how you should live. There'll be reasons to fight. G'loid mir. Trust me, there's reasons to fight. With everyone. Everyone has a different agenda. Everyone is right. This way, that way, whatever it is. Whether it's in nursery, fighting over the toy, and then all the way up to 95, 100, 120 years old. There's always reasons there's always reasons. I saw a great sign. I want to get it for my kids at home. I go. I saw a, a great magnet or something in Beis Yaakov downstairs over here. In the under, you know, downstairs from U City Shul, it there was. I we in there Rosh Hashanah and Kippur the, at the early minion for U City Shul. They divided everyone out. There was this big thing. Friends like friends that are flexible. There was this big slinky, you know. Friends like friends that are flexible. It's such a good zug. I tell my well, since I saw it, I tell my kids, just be flexible. Okay, so he's singing, he's humming, he's chewing loudly. All right, fine. Fine. Just be flexible. Because ultimately, you know that thing is mice I don't know if it's a real story or if it's just a, a mushal, which people say that um that uh, There were two brothers who were fighting. They were not following in the Friday of footsteps. And they fought for years, years, years. They want to talk to each other. And uh, what what usually brings people back together is a a death or an illness in the family. The father fell ill. He was on his deathbed in the hospital. And the brother who lived, you know, who was the one who was fighting with everyone, he uh, came and he comes into his father's hospital. He hasn't seen each other. They haven't seen each other in a while. And uh, the father's lying in the bed and his son who lives, Reuben, let's call him, is sitting next to him. Shivan comes in and he sits down, takes pulls up a chair to sit next to his father. And the father looks at him. Who are you? He says, I'm I'm Shivan. I'm your son, Shivan. Who who are you? Shivan. He thinks maybe his father's losing it. His father looks right right in the eye. He says, points to Reuben. He says, this is my son. If you're not his brother, then how could I be your father? Yisimcha le-kiv is telling us we're brothers, we're brothers and sisters, we're like Ephraim and Menashe. What that translates to is, however, is that brings that closeness to our father ultimately. That's one answer that they say for why we say Yisimcha lekim there's another reason that is said famously, maybe you've heard this before, and that is because Yaakov grew up I'm the, the, sorry, the, the Yitzchak grew up in Avram's house. Yaakov grew up in Yitzchak's house. The tribes grew up in Yaakov's house. So of course, excuse me, they're going to turn out the way they turned out. They have everything going for them. They have the right society to develop in to become the righteous people that they were. Ephraim and Menashe grew up in the lowest of society back then, Egypt. It was a depraved society as we saw from Avram's and and uh, Avram's encounter rather with uh, the people of Mitzrayim of Egypt and Ephraim and Menashe grew up in that environment. Is it possible that they can become people that are special, is it possible that they could become like the tribes? Ech, they don't have it going for them. They're growing up in the wrong place, in the wrong school system. We're going to be in Gullus. Clyve going to be in exile for thousands of years in terrible situations, in situations that make it difficult to become the greatest that we think we think think it's, it's impossible for us to become great. Says Yaakov, no. Yesimcha like him Menashe, should become like Ephraim of No matter what environment we find ourselves in, no matter where we are, we make the best of it. We make the lemons out of the lemonade. You know that story, they say of remaylich and remaylich and rebzusheh, two brothers, two chassidish brothers. It's, it's not 100% related, but it's just a cute story I remember reminding myself of they were um, the two They were in the beginning of the Chasidish movement, and they were thrown into jail at some point. And um, they saw that there was a bucket over there for them to use as a base, as a bathroom. And the, I don't know which brother it was said. Oh, they! What's going to be? <clears throat> we're not going to be able to learn. We're not going to be able to daven because there's a there's a, a terrible smell coming from. that thing. you're not going to smell. You're not going to uh, think and learning or or talk and learning, or davening when there's a, in a bathroom. What are we going to do? He started, he started getting sad about it. And his brother said, what are you sad about? This is a new opportunity. Yes, now we're going to serve Hashem by not learning, by not davening. Let's dance. And they start dancing and dancing and dancing. And the guard comes, what are you dancing about? He said, we're dancing because there's a bucket over here for the bathroom. So you're dancing over the bucket, and he takes the bucket, and he throws it out. Oh, now he can learn. But the point is, yes, I'm in a difficult situation. Yes, maybe I feel like I can't do what I'm supposed to do. I could do what I'm supposed to do, and I'm only going to grow from that. And the proof is from Ephraim and Menashe. Ephraim and Menashe had nothing going for them. Yes, they had Yosem as a father. They had Asnas as a mother, but they were living. I mean, I'm just thinking to myself, I know. Yeah. Okay, I don't want to say any cities cuz I don't want to I don't want to I don't want to call the cities bad cities but my father specifically grew up in a city that is known as a, a not a holy city he grew up there he was there till till uh no not there he was there until hi, middle of high school and then he went to baltimore to yeshiva and he's he's fine i mean yeah okay i'm sure he you know he had some interesting adventures when he was there actually maybe this will give away where he grew up but when he was a kid, you know, he, he lived, in, he went to public school over there. Him and his, it was him and his, it was a bunch of Jews. And it was like Jews and Orientals. That was the whole public school system over there. But he was playing with his friends, a pickup game of basketball. And um, he ended up playing also, this person was older than him, obviously. But he ended up playing a pickup basketball game with Will Chamberlain. Yeah, I didn't ever, I didn't ask who won. But um, that's that's the uh, that's the story. The truth is, he still had a good shot up until a bunch of years ago. He had a pretty good shot in uh, basketball. But the point is, no matter where we're from, no matter where we're from, no matter what environment we're in, we could stieg, we could grow, we could develop. Then, so you've explained the unity of Ephraim and Manasseh. Uh huh. But why Ephraim and Manasseh rather than? Menasha and Ephraim. Oh, okay, very good. Now let's get to the next part. The next thing that I'm going to say, and we'll close with this. And this, this will hopefully um, answer the question. Um, okay. The Gemara says, the Gemara says in Shabbos 10b, al Adam Ben A person should never differentiate between sons. You see, Yaakov gave, Yaakov gave, um, Sainaz passing that special code to Yosef, and look what came because of that. That's what the Gemara says. Yes, what was Yaakov thinking? We're not going to get into what Yaakov's original Khajbin was. Yes, Leslie, you sound like you want to say something, you look like you want to say something. Well, isn't there a connection between Yaakov and Yosef about their mazel, that they share the same mazel, they're born in the same mazel, and that's why Yaakov gives a coat to Yosef, that's why Yaakov spends more time learning with Yosef, and that's why Yosef's sons are benched first. That may be, that may be. That that, that is a good point. We're not going to go down that path, but I will tell you, it's interesting. Someone just told this to me today or yesterday, that Yosef, oh, yeah, someone told me this this morning, actually. Yosef, at the end of the Parsha, Yosef did not invite his brothers to dine with him. And the reason was because he had a whole calculation for how it's not going to work out. It's because of the seating. Just not it just, he had a real good khaj and, and, and calculation for why it wasn't good. But they thought that he didn't invite them because he was upset at them. Now Yosef thought that they understood why he didn't invite them. So it was all just one big un, misunderstanding. So you're right, Yaakov maybe had those calculations for why he was you know interacting with. Yosef in that way, but they didn't know that. And therefore, the Gemara says you shouldn't make differentiate between children. Now, don't you think, it's uh, this? according to Leslie, this question is not a question, but don't you think it's odd? After Yaakov saw everything he went through, then he's going to say, you know what, I have 150 Anaklach. I just made up the number. I have 150 Anaklach, grandchildren. Okay, I'm going to take these two, Ephraim and Manasseh. They're going to be like tribes. Excuse me, you made a mistake. Learn from it. Don't do it again. That's the rule the Gemara is teaching us. Don't differentiate. And you're going and doing it again? You don't learn your lesson? It's a good question, isn't it? Anyone who was once a kid knows the following rule. Every rule is meant to be broken. Everyone probably said that at one point in their life, whether it was to a parent or to a teacher. Yeah, the rule is you have to do this. Okay, fine. Every rule. I mean, you can't have a rule if it's not going to be broken. Come on, right? Cesar of Yaakov Kamenetsky, my great-grandfather, he says, yes, this is the rule that the Gemara is telling us. Don't differentiate. But every rule has exceptions. And if I think that every rule doesn't have, if I think that I can have a rule that doesn't have exceptions, that means that I'm just being, um, so, excuse the expression, I'm being a golem. How do you say golem in English? A, a dummy, but no. Hey, what? Blockhead. A blockhead, thank you. A blockhead. Why? It's politically because, correct. <laughs> because we are human beings life is not black and white when i have i mean you know, my wife we, we you know every w- one of our children we've learned a term to describe him or her a fragile child my wife was has been listening and this person is fantastic he's a Hasidish guy Hasidish guy in new york and he has books and lectures in, in english he, he has speaks with an accent speaking about the different kinds of children, the UV child, the blue child. I don't know where he's coming from. It's from some... Something. I don't know what psychology, but the point is, he was describing a UV child who's called the fragile child. And he was telling... He was explaining how you have glass. You have... This is a styrofoam cup. It's a good cup. It holds the water that I'm drinking. If it falls on the floor, nothing happens, right? If I have... A glass jar, this maybe is a little bit more, it's a little nicer than a styrofoam cup, right? Especially if I have a crystal goblet, it looks very nice. It's enjoyable to look at. What happens if I drop it? It breaks. Children and people are the same way. I have situations that I can follow the rule. If I drop it, nothing's going to happen. I follow, I follow, Don't differentiate. And sometimes I'm going to have a glass. I'm going to have a goblet. I said, this one has fragile. This one is great, but I have to be careful with it. There's exceptions to the rules. And I have to act on those exceptions, says Rebiyanke. Why was Ephraim before Menashe? Because Ephraim was greater than Menashe. But Ephraim is younger than Menashe. That's okay. (laughs) He could be younger, but he was greater. He was going to have greater grandchildren. It's not, it doesn't work like a hierarchy like that. If you're older, you're automatically better. No, you do get the double, you know, the firstborn right. You know what? My mother says, <laughs> says, you know why the Bukhar gets Pishnayim, why the firstborn gets double? Because he got double pitch. That's why. And it's a reality. Even obviously, there's no patching like it was in the in the olden days. We got more advanced or the children got softer. But the truth is, it's a reality. Where did I see this? One second. I just saw this in a Rashi about someone. I forgot who it was. Um, who was it? Ay, ay, ay. Something. He was a he was a bechor, and he, he was the oldest. Oh, Reuven, Ruven, Ruven. Reuven says. I'm not sure if it was a Rashi or it was from a different Rishonim. When they when they wanted to you know sell Yosef or kill Yosef. By Yishma Rubin, Ruben heard. Vayatsi He saved them from his hands. Why? Here. Rashi says, yes, Rashi. That he wanted to do it to save him, says Rashi. Omar, he said, Ani Bakhar, I am the firstborn. The of Shavakulin and the oldest of everyone. La hasirchein Hasir I'm gonna be the one that's gonna be blamed. Isn't that beautiful? It's so true. It's always the oldest one's fault. How can you do this, right? I had nothing to do with this. No, nah, it's your fault. That's what Bechar and Bishnayim is. Yeah, I'm the eighth in my family. So I don't have that. <laughs> but, 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 you're number one, huh? Ephraim and Menashe. Ephraim was younger than Menashe, but that doesn't mean that he's automatically greater. And that's, yeah, there's more chashba'inism, there's more reasons why Ephraim was greater, Ephraim had Yeshua. Um, he said, and the, Yaakov said he's going to be greater, but the bottom line is, remembering this, we have to be flexible. Flexible brings us to the unity and to the actas of Ephraim and Menashe, and flexible allows us to say, you know what, there's a rule. Yes, there's a rule. You know what, the Gemara says that a person is always supposed to daven in a malkim kavua in a specific place. Okay? But what happens when I get to shul, which happened to me this afternoon? I walked into shul, I have my specific place that I dove at. Granted, I'm usually not there for Mincha and Mary, I am only there on Shabbos and at Shachar's and someone's sitting in my seat. So what do I say? Excuse me, please get out of my seat. No! The halacha doesn't tell me be rigid. The halacha is that this is what I'm supposed to do. So therefore I kick someone out of my seat? You know why not? The Ramam says a beautiful, I mean, the the, um, the the idea of making a Malcolm kavua a set place that's a nice thing. It's not a halacha. So I have to use my judgment and say, oh, I'm going to be flexible now because the halacha is not that I should kick him out. The halacha is be a balchesed, to be kind, to let him sit in his seat. Why do I have to make him feel bad? Rabbi David Feinstein, Rabbi Feinstein who passed away about a month and a half ago, or Moshe Feinstein's son, he was in, he was a, he was one of the greatest halachic authorities in America or in the world. And he was Davening somewhere once, and there was a boy who was Davening, who was davening for the oven. He was the Shchan, Khazar shatz And the boy made a mistake. He skipped something or something, and people started yelling, oh blah, 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 blah. You know, everyone was like, what should he do? Should he go back? Should he go forward? And if Dab Feinstein said, Leave him alone. Leave him alone. That was his sock. So afterwards, people came to him and they said, what do you mean? He said, Chazar's Hashad is a minute. It's a derabonon. It's rabbinic at best. Not embarrassing him. That's biblical. We got to use our judgment. Can't say, oh, this is what it is with our rigidity. That's what Ephraim and Menashe, That's what we learn from the rules. And with that, I bid you a wonderful night. A wonderful Chavez and thank you so much for joining us.